God, let these words be more than words. Give us the spirit of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Here she comes. I'll show you how to fish for people. I'll show you how to fish for people. If there are words that make Episcopalians more nervous than these from Jesus, I don't know them. I'll show you how to fish for people. Maybe you're acquainted with the old King James version, I will make you fishers of men. Same idea, more antique language, more gendered language, still made Episcopalians nervous. Why? Why? Was it because Episcopalians are concerned about being polite historically? My grandmother was Episcopalian. She had a deep faith, but she would not tell you about it. God save your soul however hard you tried. Episcopalians seem to be sometimes of the brand of folks that think that there are certain topics that you don't cover in polite conversation. Sex, politics, uh, Sandra Ellis at the 8 o'clock reminded me, i got to include money in there, uh, and religion. But is that why? Is that why we don't like this verse? Is that why these words of Jesus make us nervous? In recent years, some Episcopalians have gotten less worried about being polite, but there's still nervousness about Jesus' invitation. And so I'm going to use a word that makes people nervous today. Sometimes in Episcopal churches, it's called the E word. And I'm going to use it in this church, even though I know folks don't like it. I'm talking about evangelism. And I say the word and I hear grunts and I watch wiggles people start to fidget. And people don't like the word evangelism. Episcopalians, people in this church don't like the word evangelism because it's often associated with a very different vision of Christianity. And I know that there are some of us in this church in particular who do not like the word evangelism because it is associated with churches who have hurt us or who have hurt people that we love. And so I understand why that work makes us nervous. But this morning, I want to make a case that Jesus' invitation still stands. Jesus wants us to be evangelists. Jesus wants to teach us how to fish for people. And folks, I believe Jesus needs us. God needs churches like Holy Communion to be serious about fishing. You see, at its root, evangelism It's good news. That's what the word literally means in Greek. Eo in Greek is is good. Angelion, think angels. It just means messengers or news. Eo, angelion, evangelism, it's just telling folks good news. And part of why it's gotten such a bad reputation in this country is because so much of what passes for evangelism in this country is bad news. Don't tell me that my husband and I are going to hell and call it good news. Don't tell me you want to take or kick drag queens out of libraries and call uh, story time illegal. Don't tell me you want to prosecute librarians and call that good news. Don't tell me the foreign policy this country is pursuing is what God wants, the God who called prophets to say that we will beat our swords into plowshares. Don't tell me that your faith compels you to save defenseless lives and then in the same breath talk about how your church endorses a policy to remove health insurance from poor people. 
That's not good news. It's not evangelism, even if you call it that. That's not what Jesus had in mind. So much of what passes for evangelism is bad news. God needs churches willing to share good news in a world that so desperately needs good news. Take another look at those verses that Chester read from Luke's gospel. Notice the overall feeling in those verses. Notice how many times of good news or some version is mentioned. The people who have walked in darkness, they've seen a great light. Here comes the kingdom of heaven, Jesus says. Then after the fisher folk have joyfully run from their nets, immediately, Luke says, they've run from their nets to follow Jesus. And Luke tells us he announced the good news of the kingdom and healed every disease and sickness. The picture Luke is painting is joyful. Jesus is magnetic. Jesus draws followers because he brings relief. He brings community. He brings healing. Jesus brings hope. Friends, how many of us walk in places day in and day out that could use some more hope? Our office places, our neighborhoods, our schools, our wider city. How many places do we walk in that could use some words of hope? So here's where I pivot this sermon, and there's no way to do this that's not awkward. You're here on the Sunday in which we have our annual meeting, and so this sermon is also my rector's address. But while it's a little awkward to do a rector's address in a sermon, it's not for this gospel. Because this gospel is all about the love-spreading difference Jesus brings. It's all about the hope that he proclaims and invites his followers to proclaim. And this is a congregation that gives me hope. This congregation continues to grow. And as a rector, I have had the privilege of sitting with new folks over coffee or at breakfast between the services or in our inquirer's class pilgrimage. Time and again, I hear, I hear stories of folks who are looking for a faith community that shared their values. I I hear stories of people feeling welcomed, of finding home in this place, because they were looking for a people of faith who identified as anti-racist, who were willing to do the work of dismantling homophobia and gender bias. I hear stories of folks who were looking for a faith community that was willing to show up in the streets when it mattered. In the past year, I've had the privilege again of sharing conversations while standing next to washing machines or on cold nights like last Tuesday next to the warm gas-powered dryers down at Laundry Love. I've had the opportunity with our other Laundry Love volunteers to be blessed by conversations with our neighbors, many of whom are grateful that our church chooses to pay for laundry toward the end of the month when some of them are financially stressed. But many more are grateful for the company. We live in a world that features a lot of loneliness. And it's wonderful to come to a ministry month in and month out where there's a group of folks who show up at the laundromat with no agenda but to help, to laugh, and to love. That's hope. This year especially, I've got to talk not just about the new folks, 
not just about the people we're meeting as a congregation. I've seen a great deal of hope from this congregation, from folks who have been here for a couple of years, or for four years, for 30 years, or even from one congregation member who joined just after he got back from the Second World War. I'm looking at you, Burt Mayfield. There's a lot of hope from folks in this place. We've just finished, and you're sitting in, the biggest phase of our next 150 renovations. And folks, you showed up. You showed up in your generosity. You raised more as a congregation in four months than we have ever raised in the history of this place. But it's not just about the dollars. It's not just about the total. What gives me hope is the way in which the next 150 committee and the vestry prioritized making sure everyone counted. Every gift counted. We came very close to 100% participation from the members of this church in this capital campaign. You treated this work as an investment in this place. It gives me hope. Through the construction, though, it wasn't just the dollars that marked generosity. It wasn't just the pledges. Through the construction, you showed up. I was bowled over by how many people came to help us repaint and fix up Mitchell Hall so we could get ready to worship there. More than that, I was amazed how many people kept coming to Mitchell Hall, as cramped as it was, to worship while we were away from the church. We had two of our highest Sunday attendance outside of Easter and Christmas that we've ever had as a congregation while we were in Mitchell Hall. On both St. Francis Day and at the baptisms on All Saints Day, there were folks literally leaning on the walls in the hall and in the lounge because there weren't seats left in Mitchell Hall for them to sit in. I'm incredibly grateful. I'm incredibly hopeful because you kept showing up. You all have, have given me hope in the way that you've stepped out on a limb this year as well. If you're at the annual meeting, if you've received um, the information from the annual meeting online or in your mailbox, you know that we're stepping out on a limb this year. You may have heard a little bit about our budget deficit. And you may hear more about our budget deficit. Vestries don't like budget deficits. But this one is planned. We're stretching ourselves as a congregation. We're investing. We've checked our reserves, we've made some tough decisions, and we've planned to invest this year. Because we know that sometimes, in order to live into your hopes, you've got to stretch. Sometimes living into hope can be uncomfortable. But if we want to see a new service grow in this newly renovated space, if we want to serve folks who are not currently well served by church, if we want to see a community that worships and celebrates differences in ability, it's going to take some discomfort. It's going to take investment. We will have to stretch. And your willingness gives me hope. Not only that, but the budget, while we're in deficit, the vestry has decided we can't cut outreach. In fact, our outreach budget has expanded this year. There's investment going on because we know that we have a role to play outside our walls in the coming year. I take great hope from the leadership in this congregation, folks like your vestry and my fellow clergy who are the official looking leaders and the humans who just step up week in and week out. 
I'm impressed that while we were in the midst of this, your treasurer and others came together to form a grant committee to say, we'll be in a deficit, but as we look forward, we also want to be in a position of looking for funds that we can't raise ourselves because we don't want to be limited as we imagine what we can do together. I began this sermon with perhaps an uncomfortable sentence. I want to finish with a confession When Jesus said to his disciples, I will make you fish for people, he wasn't talking about growing a church. He wasn't telling them to go out and round up some big donors. He just wasn't. In Galilee, in Zebulon, the land of Naphtali, Jesus found a people who were downtrodden. He found folks who needed light, who needed welcome, who needed community, who were willing to embrace the crazy diversity of Jesus' band of followers. Jesus went and found folks who needed to hear a word of hope. And he told people again and again, get ready. Injustice will not have the last word. Evil will not have the last word. Exclusion will not have the last word. Sickness will not have the last word. God will have the last word. Have hope. I know it's scary. I know Jesus tends to make Episcopalians nervous. But I hope that we're still in the business of evangelism. We still have good news to tell in a world that so desperately needs good news. This year, I pray God will continue to give us courage, continue to help us stretch our resources, to stretch our sense of comfort. I have faith that God has done great things in and through this church, and God is not done with us. We've done our homework. Our investments are wise investments. We have a great team, and we'll continue to proclaim a message of welcome, to embrace diversity, to build community inside and outside these walls. I know so many folks out there who could use some good news. And I have a sense that God is still at work in the lives of so many in this church. I know you know Jesus to be a leader of deep compassion. The God we proclaim here is a God who will not rest until injustice is rooted out. The God we know is a God who cares about every human life. The God we know is a God who shows up when it hurts sometimes in the face of a friend with a cup of coffee. We know a God whose best name is love. So what do you say, church? Shall we continue in this effort of fishing for people? With our lips and with our lives, will we stretch ourselves and tell the good news? Amen.